a big part of me likes this idea of like simplicity and decluttering life. Uh, I'm a pretty organized person, but there are certainly areas in my life where I'm not so organized, and one of those specific areas is books. Like whatever I'm reading or whatever I'm using for study material for upcoming messages, when I enter the house, I put them on the counter right when you walk in. And my wife's pretty kind of patient with me until she isn't, and then she moves that stack to some other stack. Um, and then I have to go, hey, where are all these books? As a matter of fact, for years, we just celebrated 24 years of marriage last month. For years, I would take large black garbage bags to our basement and just literally throw a bunch of stuff out that we haven't used in a year or more. My wife would know I'm doing it, but she wouldn't know what was going in these garbage bags. And I would take garbage bags full of this stuff to help declutter the basement. Only once that I can remember did she ever ask for something that I had thrown out. So I think I did pretty good. But what about you? Are there areas in your life that you would like to declutter or get rid of some things? Is it maybe your house? Maybe it's your apartment. Maybe it's your room. What about getting rid of other things like subscriptions? I think we are subscribed to every possible subscription there is, like Hulu, uh, Disney Plus, whatever they are. Like I think we have everyone, Paramount Plus, Every subscription you think there is, I think we have them. There might be even some I don't even know of that we're paying for. What about, let's take this a little further. What about behaviors or attitudes? Are there behaviors or attitudes that you would just like to rid yourself of? I know I would. I would love, in all honesty, to rid myself of how seriously I take a Bengals game. Right? Like, it is sad how it impacts me, my emotions, and how upset I get over a Bengals loss. I've had a friend of mine once say, I have gotten upset watching a college football game at schools I never attended. Like, when you think about that, it's kind of funny, but then I go, I totally relate to exactly what you're saying. And all honesty, I'd like to rid myself of all my frustrations over silly things. You know, my lack of faith at times, my, my fear at times, my doubt, maybe my, my anger, all those moments, all those frustrations, I would love to rid myself of all of them. What about you? Anything you would like to rid yourself when it comes to, not somebody else's behavior, but your own behavior. I think it would be good just to take a few seconds to maybe jot those down. These could be your, like your prayer requests moving forward. Like what are the things you'd like to rid yourself of? Write them on your program. Pull your phone out real quick. Start taking some notes. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray for God to meet us right where we are this morning. So God, just come. God, as we kind of go through the Rolodex in our mind of the things we'd like to rid ourselves of, would you bring all of those to mind? Would you help us to capture those in a note, in our, in our thoughts, God, that we begin to take these things to you and ask you to come into our heart and just rid ourselves of these things. Help us to become more and more like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Andy. If this is your first time joining us online or in person, we're so glad you're here. We are starting a new series called Urgent, and we are headed to 2 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 in your disciples' Bibles. If you don't have one, again, you can grab one. They're absolutely free. You're not going to bother me if you want to grab one now. And if you're online, bacbible.com, fill out that information. Jana mentioned our new memory verse card and how these work, if you've never experienced one of these, is today we'll start this week's memory or reading plan and so you're going to read about what we're going to talk about later so it's just one chapter a day in the new testament there'll be more chapters that we'll talk about when it talks about 2023 but right now we're on the tail end of 
reading through the entire New Testament this year. So hopefully you've been able to do that. So if you don't have one of those, make sure you grab one. If you want multiples of those, you can grab those in the back or on the empty seats. I have those everywhere. We have them in the house and in my car so I can continue to keep that memory verse in front of me. The books we're going to look at through this series over the next four weeks, we're going to see how the writers are really urging the hearers or the readers to their calling. Like, hey, remain true, reminding them that their approach and their faith needs to come with a certain level of urgency. In 1 Peter, we quickly see that Peter is letting those in Asia, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, who this letter is written to, that the, despite all the circumstances, all the hardships that they're facing, there is hope. But in order to see that hope and explore joy, they must focus on Jesus. Jesus is the one that provides it. They need to focus on his work and all the promises that he has. And one of the best ways to keep our eyes focused on Jesus is to remain in the scriptures or in the Bible. Uh, Peter ends chapter 1 with that reminder to everybody that's listening. He says, Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another consistently. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Then Peter presents a very practical way to create hunger for the word and continue to live more and more like Jesus. We've talked about for years this idea. You've heard the cliche, hey, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I had my coach say, we can't make them drink, but how do we make them thirsty? I thought, man, that's a really great question. How do we create thirst for the word? That's what Peter's talking about here. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, the first word says, therefore, since you have been purified by your obedience and been born again, therefore, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Rid yourself. Peter's obviously building on verse 22 and the obedience to the truth and sincere brotherly love for each other, to consistently love each other. As followers of Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, we're to rid ourselves of any attitude or any hindrance that threatens our brotherly love for one another. All right? We're to rid ourselves. It also is, that word rid is also translated put away or put off. The same phrase is used in other New Testament letters, include, and it talks about removing this former sinful life, like we would take off a garment. And we've talked about this idea in the past, right? The Greek tense here is to do it decisively. It's a decisive act. Peter addresses the command to rid ourselves of sin to born again. Again, Christians. So again, if you said yes to Jesus, if you're followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, having a new God-given nature within us, having the ability to break from our past old sinful life. And while we cannot become completely sinless in this life, no matter how hard we try or how much we pursue Jesus, we, can't, we can put aside sin. We're commanded to get rid of it in order to become more like Jesus. And this isn't a suggestion. He says to do it. It's a command. Do it decisively. And then Peter lists types of sin to remove from our lives. 
these things fight against our brotherly love for not just God, but each other. They cause dissension. The first two mentioned refer to general categories, and the last three sins refer to specific acts that flow out of the first two. Malice behavior. This means doing evil despite the good that we've received. It's the desire to harm somebody. Malice may even be hidden behind good actions, right? We may look like we're doing good things, but we're still doing this purposeful to harm people. Deceit means deliberately tricking or misleading by lying. We've seen this again before in other letters. Then Paul lists the three things that kind of flow out of malice, behavior, and deceit. He said hypocrisy, which means saying one thing and doing another. And jealousy means desiring something somebody else has. This causes dissent, uh, dissension and resentment because we make unhealthy comparisons to one another. Comparison is the thief, thief of joy. It also makes us unable to be thankful for the good things that other people have or the good things that happen to other people. Backstabbing means destroying someone's good reputation by lies, gossip, rumor spreading, etc. Malice often manifests itself through backstabbing. But how do you rid yourselves of these things, right? Like, well, how do we get rid of these things? We've talked about different ways to go about it in our last series, but let's see what Peter has to say specifically about it. He says, as newborn babies crave milk, so born-again believers should crave, long for, pure spiritual milk that will nourish us and help us grow to maturity. This points to the Word of God. It's the Word of God that provides spiritual life to those who partake in it. Like milk is essential for nourishment for babies, it's God's Word that is essential for us and our spiritual growth. The purity of God's Word means that there's no imperfection. There are no flaws. God's Word will not deceive us or lead us astray. By using the term baby, he's not necessarily referring that his uh, readers or hearers are brand new believers. The reality is some of these have been followers of Jesus for more than 30 years. Instead, he's likely referring to the phrase in the first chapter where it talks about being born again. Peter was saying that the believers in Jesus, as believers, we should always crave more and more of God's word in the same way that a baby would crave and cry for milk. Then, by taking in the nourishment of God's word, and we continue to grow and become stronger in Christ. We must choose not to remain spiritual babies, but become mature in Christ by feeding on God's word. It's through God's word that we continue to grow in Christ. It's through God's word that we learn about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what he still wants to do. It's through God's word that we learn more and more about his spirit, the one that was in him and the one he gave to us. It's through God's word that we're able, better able to rid ourselves of all these destructive behaviors that he's listed, that Peter's listed here. Peter then tells us how good God's word is when we feed on it. He says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, Peter's quoting from Psalm 34, 8, which everybody would have known. Like, we don't, we just talked about in that video, like, I don't know the Old Testament. Well, they would have known the Old Testament. They would have been raised in the Old Testament. They would have known exactly what Peter was referring to. And that, that whole psalm says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. All the joys of those who take refuge in him. They had already taken that first step of following God by accepting his salvation. 
saying yes to Jesus. They'd been giving a taste of that kindness from God. Peter was providing encouragement to continue to feed on God's word. Now, keep in mind, the New Testament that we're looking wasn't scripture at that time. He's referring to the Old Testament. Continue to feed on God's word. As we continue to feed on the word of God, we continue to mature in our knowledge and mature in our faith. And as we feed on the word of God, we are tasting more and more of the Lord's goodness. That goodness should not only serve to whet our appetites to make us thirsty, but the more we taste God's word and his goodness, the more tasteless the other things are. Like worldly options, the more tasteless those things become. We'll talk about that in just a second. Nothing compares to the goodness of God's and his word. The more we taste it, the easier it is to then rid ourselves of that list of things that maybe you've written down. It's easier to rid ourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and slander. But when we fill ourselves with the things of the world and things of culture, the less time and maybe even the less hungry or thirsty we are for God's word. Here's the challenge, though. Worldly and cultural things can actually be good things. And maybe you've heard this before, but good is the enemy of great. Too much of something, too much of these things impede on our ability on God's word, to impede on our ability to not just read it, but to spend time in it because we simply are too busy, right? Whether that's simply because of what we're feeding on or, again, the amount of time we're doing. Let me list some examples to help you kind of figure out maybe where this is in your life. Technology is great, right? Cell phones, being able to connect, it's great to have a cell phone. My daughter had one while she was away. If something happened, I could quickly get in touch with her. But spending too much time on this walking computer is distracting, and it takes away from the time I could be spending with God. Our tablets, our TVs, the TV shows we watch, computers, game systems, you get the idea. Technology, again, good, but it could be the enemy of something that God has for you that's great. Money. Money can be really good, but it can also be the enemy of great because maybe we're spending too much time obsessing over it, thinking about it, chasing it, thinking about the next promotion or the next job or paying our bills or whatever it might be. That can distract us from the things that God has for us when money becomes the major focus in our life. Experiences. We just talked about hey, leveraging experiences a little bit last week. We're big on that as a family. Like I'd rather go have an experience, let's do a vacation, then buy stuff. Let's go experience life at this time and at this stage of our life than buying you something else. But if you spend too much time chasing adventures and the next adventure and the next adventure and the next adventure, you're missing out on the adventure that God's called us all to in his kingdom. Even things like the Bengals, NFL football, college football, baseball, basketball, NBA, college, whatever those are that take up so much of your Again, those aren't in themselves aren't bad, but if we're spending way too much time in those things, it can detract from what God has for us because we're not tasting, we're not feeding on God's word. Even sports, like the sports your kids are in, traveling sports. Again, I'm not saying these things are bad, but these things can detract. They can take up your life. Camping season. Spending time with friends. Again, you get the idea. We could go on and on and on and list thing after thing that in themselves are not bad. They're good. But when we're doing too much of these things, we're filling up ourselves too much with these things, and we aren't left with an appetite 
for what God has for us or an appetite for his word. Like children who fill up on junk food or the wrong things, we're not able to be hungry enough or to feed ourselves with the right things. So we have to be aware. We have to know. We have to understand. What are we feeding on? How much time is that taking? What's our focus truly on? And Peter is urging his readers, his listeners, including us, not to fill our lives with any substitutions of the world or culture so that we lose our craving for the truth contained in the Word of God. And then Peter reminds them and us exactly how to do this. He says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. Using a new metaphor here, his audience would have totally understood what he was talking about. Peter's using some Old Testament imagery to describe a relationship with God as Christ's followers. As followers of Jesus, we can consistently come and approach him at any time we want. This is important enough for us to pause because we live on this side of the cross. We only know that easy access to Jesus, right? But in the Old Testament, in their day, the people that would have been reading this and hearing this, they would have had that same privilege. They would have now because Jesus is gone, but they would have grown up. They would have understood the Old Testament in the sense of this. If you were, before Jesus came, to go and touch the Ark of the Covenant, if you were to enter the temple and go past a certain part, if you were to touch the mountain that God presided on, you died. I mean, just think about that for a second. That would have been how they would have been raised. That would have been how they would have understood their relationship to God. And now Peter is saying, no, no, no. You get to approach Jesus. You get to approach the living God at any time with anything. This would have been a radical idea. The words come to refer to constantly drawing near or coming into the presence of God, which would have originally been reserved for priests. Peter described Jesus as the living cornerstone. Peter is reminding everyone that Jesus lives and imparts life to those who believe in him. Although rejected by many, Jesus was, he is now the cornerstone of the church, meaning he's the most important part. He is precious to God who chose him. Although chosen and precious to God, Jesus had to suffer greatly in order to accomplish the will of God. He was the precious blood that was shed, that redeemed each and every one of us. Therefore, as believers who are in Jesus, who believe in who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and what Jesus continues to do, we are also very precious to God. Peter encouraged the persecuted believers by telling them that they, just like Jesus, had been chosen by God. And then Peter continued with more imagery that they would have understood. He said, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Carrying on this imagery further, Peter described followers of Jesus as living stones themselves because we are made alive by Jesus the true living cornerstone. It's If these stones are living, if we're the stones and we're living, what activities then should we be doing, right? First of all, we're all being welcomed 
and being built into God's spiritual temple. He lives in a spiritual house among his disciples and among his people, his children, those who believe. No longer is God in a particular building like the temple in the Old Testament days. As followers of Jesus, we are the stones that make up the spiritual house. But we also serve as holy priests who offer spiritual sacrifices. It's a twofold metaphor that they would have totally understood. We're both the temple, our bodies, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and the priests who serve in it. Just as the priests served in the temple and they're the ones who presented the sacrifices, we are followers of Jesus and we're to be those priests. Peter used the words from Exodus chapter 19 where God promised Israel that they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And if they remained obedient to God. God's people, all who believe in Jesus Christ, have become that holy priesthood. The Old Testament priests entered God's presence at specific times to carry on sacrifices after a ritual cleaning. But as God's people, we can enter God's presence at any time because we have been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament priests offered animal sacrifices to the temple. God's people also offer sacrifices. As holy priests, we do too, but those are spiritual sacrifices. In other words, it is us. We are the living sacrifice. We see from Scripture that every part of our lives, everything, our jobs, our activities and recreation, our attitudes, our giving, our outlook, our goal, everything, everything is given to God as a sacrifice. Everything. And when we learn to please God through, his, through our obedience to his word and his guidance and his Holy Spirit, then everything we do delights in him. These sacrifices are spiritual because they can only, they can only, we can only give them because of God's spirit. We can't change these things in and themselves we already would have. And just as the aroma of a sacrifice in the Old Testament of those animals were pleasing to God, so too is our spiritual sacrifices when we continue to sacrifice, we continue to give of ourselves to God, continually, those things continually give him delight. It's through our continual act of returning to God and returning to his word that we continue to rid ourselves of all these things that aren't of God. Then Peter continues to point to God's word as the thing that feeds us. In these next verses, he quotes more Old Testament scriptures. He says, for it stands in Scripture, meaning you have known, you've known this, you've learned it, you've heard it. See, I lay down a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. And a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. Again, he's quoting more Old Testament passages. First in Isaiah chapter 28, God promised to establish a cornerstone. The first stone laid in a building. That was called the cornerstone. Making the foundation stable and the walls plumb and square. This is the stone that would be laid in Jerusalem meant that Christ lived in and around that area. But also that this new building, the Christian church, and the new covenant with Christ now at the cornerstone would actually 
replace the old temple buildings, the Jerusalem temple and the old covenant. There's a new covenant. As Christ followers, we face disappointment. These are just parts of life, right? There's hardship. There's things we have to endure. We've talked a lot about that over the last couple weeks. But our truth comes when we believe that God will not let us down. That doesn't mean he's going to come through the way we think, but he's going to be true to the promises he's given. These words about Jesus being the cornerstone comforted these believers who were facing tremendous persecution. As a building rests on its cornerstone, we as believers rest on Jesus and his word. We can safely put our confidence in Jesus because he will give us the eternal life that he has promised. But then Peter said, to you who believe, addressing Christ's followers of his time and ours, reminding us that it's, not, it's only Jesus, it's only Jesus who's precious to the Father. He is also precious to those who follow him because we're his kids. While followers of Jesus receive this preciousness and honor from God, unbelievers, he said, face a completely different outcome. When they do not accept the cornerstone of Jesus as precious and chosen, as Lord and Savior, when they reject him, Jesus himself referred to these words when he spoke of being rejected by his own people in the Gospels. Peter used builders here to to talk about people across all ages that toss Jesus aside like an unwanted stone, choosing to build their own foundation in their own lives on something completely different than Jesus. However, they're mistaken to reject Jesus because God took that rejected stone and made it the cornerstone of the church. One they would stumble and fall over. The word stumble can mean tripping or falling, as we might think about it, but it can also mean taking offense at or rejecting something or someone. Peter explained that they stumble because they didn't listen. They didn't listen to God's word. They didn't obey God's word. This disobedience is referring to, is not referring to just slip-ups by someone who's trying to obey. It's not like, oh man, I tried and then I messed up. That's not what he's talking about here. Rather, it means the outright rejection of God's word and the Messiah that the word proclaimed. It's a rebellious stance towards God. Some stumble over Jesus because they reject him or refuse to believe that he is who he claimed to be. When they do that, they stumble over the one person that could actually save them. Stumbling and disobedience have consequences. We understand this in life, right? Choices have consequences. Scripture constantly reminds us that our choices are real, that our choices also have consequences. Those who choose to disobey will stumble and fall, he said. They will not enter the kingdom of God. They will not be one of God's kids. They will not be with the Father. They will not find themselves in the presence of the Holy King for eternity. They will not rid themselves of the things that damage themselves and others. But today, we can start the ridding process in our own lives. And this doesn't matter if, like, if you believe today or if you've been a believer for 30 years, because it's all about Jesus. It's Jesus. It's his word. It's his spirit that helps us take our own garbage bags into the basement of our hearts and learn how to toss these things out to rid ourselves, to rid the parts of us that aren't 
like Jesus. It's Jesus and it's his spirit and it's words in his word that helps us do this. We don't do this on our own strength. He is a good father and he knows what we need. He knows how to, to rid the things in our own lives and he knows that we need his help in order to do it. And he's a willing, ready father. The question is, will we ask him to search our hearts, as Psalm 139 tells us? Or will we take our own garbage bags into our own hearts and try to rid the stuff that we don't like of ourselves? The challenge, of course, is if we could rid ourselves of these things, we would have already done it. But we can't. Only Jesus can remove it. Only God's word can reveal it. Only his spirit can convict. Only his spirit can change. And that's the beauty of Jesus. He changes us from the inside out. Do we have a part to play? Yeah, we need to feed on his word. We need to be open to his spirit while we do these trainings so that you can learn to understand God's heart and learn how to share it in a way that's life-giving. What we do hearing God's voice. This is why we do things like walk through the Bible so that we can continue to learn more and more about who Jesus is and what he wants to do in our lives. And he wants to do far more than we are, we are able to or even understand. He wants us to go to the missing and love the marginalized and live as his kids. He wants us to have that to its full. He, he came to give us life and life to the abundant, more than we could ever imagine. It's better than any adventure we could ever write for ourselves. But we have to spend time with him so that he can do a work in us and through us. Grab your Connect cards. I'm going to offer you a few next steps. You may have one that we may not list. And again, I encourage you to write that down. And again, I encourage everybody to pull this out. Write your name, whatever you're comfortable with filling out. If this is your first or second time here, drop it in the offering when it goes by. If you have prayer requests, you can leverage it there too. We're going to drop it in the offering in just a few minutes. The first one is this. Accept Christ for the first time. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day you're like, you know what? I do. I want to. I've tried to rid myself of these things. I've taken my own proverbial garbage bag to the basement of my heart and tried to rid myself of the things that I don't like. When I look in the mirror and the things I don't, I don't like about me, I've tried to do all these things. And maybe you've made some progress, but it's nothing like the progress Jesus can make in your life. He is the only one that can save. He is the only one that can change. Maybe today's the day you say yes to that, that you accept his grace and his mercy that you turn, that's what repentance means, away from your ways to his ways. And you learn how to do that more and more. It is a process. It's a lifelong process. I'm still learning to do it. Mark that on your Connect card. Drop it in the offering when it goes by. Make sure you grab a Bible or any resources back there. We want to follow up with you. You're not meant to do this on your own. The second, the application. Ask Jesus, his word and his spirit, to rid ourselves of everything that isn't of him. All the things that I listed earlier, like whatever your prayer list was and the list of things you wanted to rid yourself of, take those things to God. Ask the question, am I spending too much time in these things? Are we spending too much focus on this? God, where, where is that in my life? Help me to rid myself of that. So that God, you could be the soul focus. And then through you, I can engage in all these things in a more kingdom mindset, in a more kingdom way. 
Because it doesn't necessarily mean that God says, quit doing it. He might. He may say, do them differently. Because again, in them themselves, a lot of those things were good things. But good can be the enemy of great. What if God wants to do something in you and through you as you engage in some of those things? What would that look like? I don't know. You gotta pray about it. You gotta seek his word. You gotta ask for the Holy Spirit. You need his strength, you need his courage, you need his promptings. And the third next step is receive prayer. Lots of ways you can do that. Write your prayer request on the connect card, drop it in. Leverage that prayer board in the back again. Tags that you write remaining out. Everybody can see, everybody prays. When the writing's to the wall, the staff and the prayer teams pray for. And of course, you can email us at prayer at blueashcc.com. Still, I think the best way to do it if you're here in person is to receive prayer in person. We'll have a prayer team up here on my right and the one in the back left corner. Be honored to pray for anything that's going on in your life. And it could be just that list. It could be you've accepted Christ. It could be I'm gonna share a praise. God has moved, he's done this, he's revealed this, he's answered this prayer. Whatever it is in your life, we'd be honored to pray for you. And the last is our new memory verse. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What if over the next four weeks we made this a center of our prayers? Because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession to proclaim the praises right? Watch what God can do over the next four weeks. I'm going to go ahead and receive our offering. If you want to drop your connect cards in there, and if you have your communion elements, or if you didn't grab them and you want them, you can go to back to the door and grab one of those. But we do this, scripture says, do this in remembrance of me. That when we gather together, that we remember that his body was broken, which is what this wafer represents, and his blood was shed, which is what this juice represents. But he chose to do it. He willingly did this so that we could be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. So that we can be a, a people of his possession. So that we can proclaim the goodness of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. To invite us into an adventure we could never imagine on our own. To do things we couldn't do without his help. Let me pray. God, thanks for these words from, from Peter. And so, God, we pray that those things that we listed or thought of to rid ourselves of, that, God, you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit. That, God, over the coming days and the coming weeks, as we go to your word and we feed on it, God, that you would create a thirst in us that we can't wait to drink deeply of you. And, God, we don't pray that you quench our thirst, but just wet our appetite just enough so that we can't wait for the next time that we can spend time with you and in your word. So come, come by the Holy Spirit. Help us figure those things out in our own lives. Help us to see where you're working in all parts of our lives. Help us to live as that living sacrifice. In Jesus' name.